going to pray for us, and then we're going to get cruising uh, at maximum speed this morning. Father, thank you. God, we worship you today. We exalt your name today. We thank you for the efforts in the Dominican and in Haiti. We thank you for Kennesaw. We thank you for people who have just recently moved here. Lord, use them in mighty, significant ways to impact your community, that people might know your son, Jesus, and grow to be more like him. Use this church, oh God, to be a light in a dark place. Amen. If you're looking on the screen behind me, you might see this crude drawing of a radio. That's because we are starting a brand new series today called Frequency. Now, if you grew up in the 80s like me, you, you are familiar with operating this beautiful device called a radio. Some of you, I am sad to say, have never had the pleasure of having a radio on your dresser, like a big one, right? And you know what I'm talking about when I say that you took out your blank cassette and you put that thing in your radio, you closed the deck, and you waited for your jam to come on. And then what did you do? You hit two buttons. Play and record. Record and play. And you made your jamming mixtape. I waited for Casey Kasem's Top 40. Record and play. And if you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, it basically was relationship requirement to make them a mixtape. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you... Some of you are sitting here, and you're thinking, boy, that, I don't get it. I have my iPod. That's exactly right. You don't get it. <laughs> that is cute. That is cute, but it is not the beauty of AM, FM radio, and getting that antenna just right. So here's what would happen, whether it was in your car or whether you were in your bedroom. For those of you who've never done this before, you had an antenna. I almost brought a radio in, but I, I don't have one anymore. <laughs> I thought, do I want to spend money just for a sermon prop today? I don't think I do. So sorry. You would put that antenna up, and you'd, you know, you've got your dial, and you're tuning it in and trying to get the best frequency, trying to tie into the, 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 the most correct station, and you're just tweaking it a little bit because there are things that get in the way of the signal. Tracking with me. That get in the way of the frequency. We call that static, static interference. Yes? Some of you are looking at me like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Because all you know is you've downloaded music from iTunes. So just bear with me here. I love iTunes. So you would have this moment. Or, or maybe if you watch sports with maybe your mom or your dad. My father would turn the volume down on the TV. And he'd have the radio behind his lazy boy tuned into the a KMOX so he could listen to his favorite broadcaster call the game. Oh, we were hardcore. Okay, hardcore. But the reality is this, whether you wanted to send a signal, if you wanted to broadcast, or whether you wanted to pick up the signal, 
You had to tie in and tune in and fine tune so that you're picking up and laying down the same frequency. And everyone here, whether you are used to the car radio or not anymore, everybody has heard static. Everybody knows what it's like for communication to try and take place and it's just, there's just white noise getting in the way. And you know what that's like in your actual life as well. You and your spouse just can't seem to dial into the same frequency. Just getting static. People know what it's like when there's disconnect in their parenting, trying to communicate with their kids, and, you know, they're, they're both parties may want to pull their hair out because we're just not dialed in to the right frequency. It can happen at work. It happens with friendships, is it not? All the time, you're BFF, and then something happens. What happened? There's, there's just shh, static. And I have bad news and good news today. The bad news is that everyone here, if you have been following Jesus, let me qualify that. If you've been following Jesus for any measure of time and you've been growing in relationship with him, sometimes... Your heart can begin to wander a little bit. And it's like there's static between you and God. And I have good news this morning. You can isolate what that static is because the problem never lies with our perfect, loving, and wonderful Heavenly Father. But there are things that creep into our hearts that disrupt healthy and vibrant and passionate communication with God Almighty. And so this morning, with the brand new series that we're starting, it's actually a series on worship. The communication of your heart to God, the cry of everyone's heart to God is this thing that we call worship. But there are things that get in the way. We just had a time of worship. There's a life lived of worship, but then there's also the music side of worship, right? Where you're having a, a deliberate corporate moment. And some of you can relate to this challenge right here. You're trying to worship, but you're thinking about lunch. Or you're thinking, it's hot in here. That's what I was thinking as I had sweat pouring down the side of my head. In case you're wondering, we can't control the thermostat here at school. <laughs> Good times. It is hotter under the light. Some of you are thinking about the grocery list or thinking about the weight of a mistake that you made. Sin in your heart. Some of you were emotional. We all know what it's like for things to get in the way. And so this morning, what we're going to do and do over the next several weeks is we're going to dial in and we're going to adjust the station. We just might change the frequency a little bit so that what you're communicating to God and what you're hearing back, hopefully, doesn't have as much static. You guys with me? Turn to the book of John. 
fourth book in the New Testament. John 4, 23 through 26, Jesus has something to say about worship. He's speaking to a woman. He's just performed a miracle. This is the woman at the well, if you're familiar with the the heading in the Bible. Jesus is speaking to her about worship at the end of this conversation. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I I know that Messiah. Excuse me. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Now, if you're not catching this, she's dropping some really great excuses for not worshiping. Oh, you know, I know that there's a time coming. You know, I, think, I know you're a really good guy. I appreciate the lecture, but dot, dot, dot. Okay? She's justifying She says, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, there's just no real way we can know. I mean, right? Thanks for the water, by the way. Have a a great day. I mean, mean, come on. There's There's no real way we can know who this God is and how we can worship him. I mean, this is just life, right? No. Because Jesus looks at her and he says to her, I... The one speaking to you. I'm he. I know there's a Messiah coming. I've heard the, I've heard the prophecy. I know a little bit about the scriptures and the scrolls and what they teach. But, but come on, who can really know? And Jesus says, by the way, the one that you've been reading about and the one that you know about, I'm that guy. So actually, I can know. And I'm straightening this out right now. My father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. In other words, there is a way to worship God. Forgive what may not sound like a proper sentence, but you can worship God and not have the right spirit. And you can worship God in a way that doesn't reflect truth. But we serve a God, a heavenly God, who desires people like you and me. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. I have great news for you today that you have a heavenly father that is drawing you and knocking on the door of your heart that you might worship him in spirit and in truth. Your most base level reason for existing is to worship God. Now, everybody has, you know, everybody has purpose, and I get it. I love this conversation. I love sitting down, and people are frustrated about their purpose and why they exist. That's real. I get it. But I want you to know if you really rewind the mixtape for a minute, take this thing on back. The reason you exist ultimately is to bring glory to God and to worship Him. That is ultimately the reason that we exist. 
But when we talk about worship, oftentimes there's two camps that people find themselves in. Worship is just the first few minutes before service gets going. And that's worship. Or worship is all the way over here where everything is worship. Everything is worship and everything is good. It's positive vibes, energy, all of it. It's all worship. And neither camp is right. There is a way to worship him with the right spirit and to worship him in truth. And so this morning, we're going to adjust the dial today. To define worship for us, we say that worship is a life spent declaring God's worth. If you're like me, you might enjoy words and linguistics, but worship, the original word for worship used to be spelled W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P-E. And so, yeah, E, how about that? Throw you for a loop right there. So worship used to be worth-ship. And so the definition, the actual root definition of worship is to ascribe worth to something. And so when we speak of worship, what we are talking about is that your life would be declaring not only to God, but to the world what you think of this God. My worship declares to the heavens how worthy and valuable I think this God is. That is true worship. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you've ever owned a house, or maybe you've rented an apartment and you're getting ready to turn the keys back in, what do you do? What do you do to that apartment? Or you're getting ready to sell your house. What do you do to your house? You clean that thing, do you not? You try to get your deposit back in your apartment. And you try to make your house as beautiful as possible. Am I right? If you've ever heard someone say that your house will never be as clean as the week before you sell it. It's sadly true. When you're getting ready to sell your house, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I really like this place. Because it looks beautiful. You fixed it up. You did all the things that you've avoided doing. You're getting that thing ready. Why? Because you want people to walk in, look around, and say, wow, this thing is worth the money. We understand preparing ourselves and doing things and making the effort to declare worth of something. If you've ever been to a garage sale, well, yeah. You walk up to the table and, you know, somebody has $5 and you say to yourself, no way, it's not worth that. This is a garage sale. I will give you 25 cents for that. (laughs) Because it's not worth it, right? God, the Bible says his eyes are roaming the earth, looking for whose hearts are turned to him. Whose hearts are willing to declare his worth, that your life would be spent in worship to him, declaring you are the most amazing, worthy, and valuable thing. This morning, today, 
I worship you. So my question for you this morning is how worthy is God to you? Does your life declare his worth? Does your marriage declare God's worth? Because now with a conversation about worship, it's not just this nebulous thing over here, and it's also not just the five minutes before service, or, or excuse me, the, the 20 minutes, 30 minutes before the message. Now we can see that that. Our life is given as worship to God. Paul says to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. I'll read it here in just a minute. What was a sacrifice? It was worship. God, you are worth my best, my first fruits. Does your life declare his worth? Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so now how I parent my children becomes a question of, does the manner in which I parent my son or my daughter, does it declare to God how worthy I think I am of him? What a question. The manner in which I speak to my children and the way I'm raising my kids, does God's worth do people see it? Does God see it? The way I treat my spouse, the way I interact with my roommates who make me want to just lose my junk because they won't wash their dishes and put them in the dishwasher or put them back in the cabinet. I'm losing my mind with you. Does the manner in which you speak to your roommate and treat your roommate, does it declare God's worth? The way that you now manage your money and your finances. Because if we're to be presenting ourselves to God, does the manner in which I handle my resources and that which God has brought into my life, does this declare God's worth? Is this my best? Or is this just a little little something? My obligation. My transaction, because that's not worship. What I watch on television, my willingness to offer and receive forgiveness, my desire to share the gospel, my desire to be kind and gentle and loving and every other fruit of the Spirit and how you interact with people or the, the person in traffic or the people that will never see what you're doing behind closed doors. Does your life declare His worth? Chances are you might need to regularly adjust the frequency. Examples of worship in the Bible were Adam and Eve. I mean, Genesis chapter 1. I didn't actually look it up. Genesis 2. I can't remember. 
It's the one in the beginning chapters of the Bible, okay? Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel would have been a couple chapters in. What are they doing? They're presenting a sacrifice to God. What is it? It's worship. You have Ezra standing in front of the tribal leaders of Israel, and what is he doing? He's leading the nation in a formal time of worship, reading the scriptures and praying. You have Paul and Peter singing in prison, chained and shackled, worshiping. You have the early church gathering and praying and singing. Reading the scriptures, worshiping. Worship's everywhere. And I'm taking time this morning, I think with, with effort, I've, I've helped you understand that the heart of worship is that your life is a living sacrifice of worship to him. That every single thing that you do can be done in worship to God. And now I'm going to take a turn. Because this is something in the Bible Belt that we need to tighten, in my opinion. There's a lot of static that comes into the picture when we speak about church and worship. Because when we talk about a life given to God, what we, what we sometimes then reduce is corporate times of worship where we're worshiping together. Because after all, if, if everything is worship and I can worship in the privacy of my home and in my car and in my bathroom and in my cubicle, which is true, well then is it really that significant and really that important for me to show up and worship with other people? They're both forms and sacrifices of worship, but they're different kinds, and they're both important. You're sitting here right now, and this is still a part of worship. We had the offering, and that is an aspect of worship. And then we had music, and I want you to hear me this morning. That is worship. And it is important because you cannot experience that kind of collective worship anywhere else other than getting together with the saints and the church and opening your mouth and singing. Martin Luther, the, 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 the person who started the Great Reformation, says it like this. At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. We're going to be spending, oh, just spit everywhere. If you're listening online, I just spit big time, good times. We're going to be spending weeks now talking about your life given in worship. But this morning, we're going to take just a minute. And I want to remind you that worship, the worship service with the saints that starts a fire in your soul begins at 10 a.m. and not 1025. Doesn't start at 1015. 
And you say, well, it sounds like Pastor Andy's getting real legalistic. No, I'm not. I'm stressing to you the value of worshiping with other believers. In almost every every book of the Bible, you see the church or the nation of Israel having times of worship together and with music. Which means we cannot discount the value of opening our mouths and singing praises to God. Why? What is happening here? Why is that different? And why is it significant? Some of it is is spiritual and mystical and supernatural. But I want you to read this with me from the book of Psalms 73. This is David who wrote it. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever done that before? You ever found your heart in a difficult place? Of course you have. You're comparing. You're wondering why they keep getting everything that you're praying for. How is it that those who don't love God and honor God and care about God are the ones seems to be making all the money? Who have all the success and all the promotion? God, come on now. Am I not a son or daughter in your kingdom? What, what's going on here? And you begin to wrestle in your heart. It doesn't have to be that. It could be offense. It could be unforgiveness. It could be a hurt. But there are things that get lodged in your heart. That make worship difficult. In Psalm 73, 12, uh, it goes on. By the way, if you read the rest of the scripture, David goes on and off, might I add, about his frustration with what he is seeing with his eyes. I'm somebody that I can, I can find myself. I don't like to admit this, but I will. Sometimes I'm not one who walks by faith. Unfortunately, sometimes I do walk by sight. And what I see, I don't like, and it can discourage me. And so this is what Psalms 73, 12 says. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. God, what is the problem? What about me? And then down to verse 16, this amazing moment happens. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary was where public worship was taking place. Now, David David wanted to build the temple and God told him no. But this idea of the sanctuary, of coming into God's presence with other people, this amazing thing happened. His countenance began to change. Psalm 73, 24 through 26, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you take me into glory. God, who am I in heaven but you? 
And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You need to hear this, church, that there is a different awakening that happens to your soul when you worship with other believers. It happens. I'm telling you, I cannot fully explain it. But when I pray in my house, it leads me into God's presence. That's true. I'm encountering God. And then when I get around other people and I begin to pray, it feels a little bit different, doesn't it? Life group by myself is great. But life group with six other people feels a lot better. Do I live with six other people all the time? Well, in my house I do. I have four kids. But... I don't live in life group, but man, when I get together a couple times or once a week, it does something to me. And when I come in and the world has frustrated me and I'm discouraged or I'm down or I'm, I'm, I'm pained or hurting, there is something that happens that does not happen inside my living room when I come in and the band starts and I begin to worship God and I do it with other people. And might I add, even if the band didn't start and we were just singing by ourselves, my countenance gets lifted off of myself and I am anchored once again to God. God, my heart and my flesh cry out for you. You are what I really need. God, forgive me for comparing. Forgive me for thinking this way. God, my eyes are set on you. My flesh cries out for you. God, who am I in heaven but but, but you? That doesn't always happen when I am by myself. So when I say that church starts at 10 and the worship service begins at 10, it's not because we're sitting here and saying that you, you've got to have the music and the worship and this an insult or you're a weak Christian. No. It's that this is a time for us as people to declare God's worth and to do it together. And when we do it together, something different happens in our heart can't find it anywhere else. I remember, I know I'm going a little bit long. I did not grow up understanding this. Or maybe I did and I just remember differently, but I remember, and I remember it so distinctly, church. The first time I actually really engaged in worship. I didn't want to express to God I could carry a tune, and I knew the songs, but more than anything, I would sing to impress the people around me. I hate to admit it, but it's true. And if I was in college and sitting next to a cute girl, oh, I would sing that much louder, you know. You're laughing. It's true. I went to a Christian university. Those are the cheesy, lame things that Christian guys did at a Christian university. That's what we would do. Pathetic. I remember going to this church, the church that's a part of this ministry. I'd never been around a band before. Which, by the way, if you sing a cappella, great. You don't need a band. Instruments don't, don't make or break whether you are actually worshiping God. But for me, there was something that I needed to break me out of my shackles. 
Worship had been about me, and it had been about me singing, and it had been about me liking the song or not liking the song. It was purely about my preference rather than the purpose of worship. Purpose trumps preference every time. And I remember the worship leader, I believe it was John Owens, who's a dear friend of mine, encouraging and inviting all of these college students in this room to lift their hands during this song. And I said to myself, I'm not doing that. Stupid. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I worship God how I want to worship God. Lifting hands is for weak people. And I got great news for you. God is looking for weak people. He's looking for people who will understand that they need him. That in their weakness, he is amazingly strong. And I remember the lyrics to this song. Every once in a while, I still listen to it. The song was, I'm trading my sorrows. And I remember the band playing... And something began beginning to happen in my heart. I felt my pride getting confronted in the midst of worship. Again, this didn't happen in my living room. Why? What, what, was, what was this powerful thing that was happening as I'm singing in unison with all of these other people? Something was getting inside of me, and I wasn't comfortable with it. I was losing control. I'm trading my sorrows was the first line of the song. And I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. And I'm trading my sickness. And I'm trading my pain. And I'm laying it, laying it, laying it down for the joy of the Lord. And I'm watching students All of a sudden, their hands are making fist pumps, and they're getting after it. And I'm thinking, either something's wrong with them, or something is wrong with me. Because they are so excited about this God. There's something coming out of them. They're declaring His worth. Why am I bored? Why are my arms crossed? God, is there something that I haven't encountered or experienced with you that I need to. And I felt God say, yes. You haven't really worshipped me. You haven't understand that today, every time you get together, you get to declare what I have done for you. I've saved your soul, Andy King. Last time I checked, that's worth getting excited about. I'm pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I am not destroyed. And I am blessed beyond the curse, for His promise will endure that His joy is going to be my strength. And though my sorrows may last for the night, His joy, it comes in the morning. And I remember the first time, like it was yesterday, being exhorted to lift my hands and I was fighting it and I was fighting it and then I felt 
okay. And we began to worship and the tears just started rolling down my eyes, my face. Now, do you have to raise your hands and worship? No, you do not. Let me be very clear. You do not need to raise your hands for your heart to be devoted to Jesus and for you to be declaring his worth. But I needed to because I was unwilling to do it. My pride was holding me back. And I would say this to you, that if worship looks like you hiding behind a coffee cup, that you probably need a moment as well. And if worship just looks like your hands in your pocket, I want to invite you to experience and encounter God in a different way. The God who saves hearts and saves souls is worthy of our praise. That means it's worthy of his praise in your living room, at night, when you're watching television, when you're going to work. But it also means that it is you, he's worthy of your praise when you get together with the church and you praise him and you worship him and you open your mouth. It isn't a boring encounter. It isn't lame. It is heart changing. It is transformative. And that's why we show up on time because baby, God is worthy of my praise and I can't wait to do it with you and I can't wait to do it with you and you and you. Let's do this. Worship is about declaring his worth. Church, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you're Indian, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you've been. God is worthy of our worship. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you. And this morning we declare your worth today. God, with hands raised, with arms out, God, whether we're swaying, whether we're, whether we're opening our mouths for the very first time, God, whether we're just standing and willing to participate in worship, Lord, would you hear our praises today? We thank you that you are worthy, that you are good, that you are merciful, that you are gracious. We thank you that you still heal, that you are still powerful, that you are still alive and active, and that your son, Jesus Christ, reigns victorious over sin and death. There's none like you, God. Who is like our God? Who is like our God? like our God. God, we say no one. No one's like you, Lord. God, we will praise you in a cafeteria and we will sweat together to do it in a hot room. We don't care because you are the saver of souls. There's no one like you. Hallelujah.